Turn in your Bibles this morning to Second Chronicles chapter number 29. Man, what a blessing it is to be in the house of God. And I'm encouraged by your presence here today. I trust that the Lord has blessed your heart already. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do. How many of you know you got to look forward? Amen. You can't look backwards. We're not even going to talk about yesterday. We're just looking forward. Amen. Just looking forward, ain't we? We ain't even worried about what happened yesterday, and uh, we're, we're just looking forward, amen. And uh, some of y'all, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we got absolutely stomped by South Carolina yesterday. So uh, if the South Carolina fan happens to be here today, congratulations, amen. But Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 29, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 1. And we're going to read uh, three different sections here in this chapter. Uh, so follow along with us this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1 says this, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken Him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem. And he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Then the Levites arose. I want you to look down at verse 15 with me. Then the Levites arose and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now, they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. Then they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof, and the showbread table, with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, have we prepared and sanctified. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. I want you to look down at verse 31 with me, and we'll be done with our reading. In verse 31, Hezekiah answered, 
and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. Let's stop and pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the house of God. What a precious place it is to be able to gather here with fellow believers, Lord, whose hearts have been knit together in the fellowship of the gospel and our love of you, and to be able to worship you today and to exalt you today and to magnify you today. And oh, what a day that it is to be able to come into the house of God. We're so thankful for what you have already done in this place. But Lord, now as we come to the Word of God and we fix our hearts upon its truth, I pray that we would be found malleable, Lord, changeable, teachable, that you would, Lord, not just be able to challenge and charge us, but to change us in a way that brings you glory and brings you honor. May we not allow fleshly pride to puff us up, to build a wall between us and the ministration of the Holy Spirit, but may we instead humble ourselves and seek only your will to be done in us, and we'll be sure to thank you for what's accomplished. Lord, if there's one here that's lost, And in a room this size, in a group this size, it wouldn't be a surprise if we were to know that that was true. Lord, you you called uh, 12 disciples. One of them was a devil. Lord, it wouldn't be a surprise in a group this size for there to be one here lost and undone. But Lord, you love them. You care about them. You care so much that you died on Calvary for them. And I pray they not leave this place ere they place their faith in you and called upon you to forgive and pardon and cleanse them that they might be eternally saved. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to draw your attention this morning, particularly to verse 31. The Bible says this, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. When you study the history of the children of Israel, you'll find that Hezekiah was a mostly good king, and he was sandwiched between two pretty rotten kings. His father Ahaz was a wicked man who allowed the house of God to fall into utter disrepair and the spiritual life of the people to be almost entirely snuffed out. Then his son Manasseh, who we preached on last week or the week before, lived a mostly wicked life until he got right with the Lord. I'm glad we can get right with God, aren't you? But Hezekiah stands for the most part as a shining beacon betwixt these two dark and shadowed corners in Israel's history. And he's a man, though he's not without failures, though he's not without flaws, who the Bible says did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. When you study his life, you'll find that though there are many interesting things that take place, if we were to distill down his life into one great act or one great work, it would be this repairing of the house of God in chapter number 29. But the thing that's interesting to me this morning is the reason that Hezekiah does this. He doesn't do it to bolster the morale of the people. He doesn't do it to generate economic revenue from uh, pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem and, and staying in inns and buying food and, and, and engaging in trade. He doesn't do it to build up his own name, make himself more illustrious in the annals of history or to give himself a legacy. But he does it for one reason. He believes that God deserves to be praised and thanked for all that he's done in their lives. 
But he understood an important truth. Uh, that a person could not simply come in and give thanks to God if there were things in disrepair in their spiritual life. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Now come and bring thank offerings. Of course, this is Thanksgiving week. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't talk about it very much, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Uh, I'm a little tepid about Christmas. But Thanksgiving is, is, is my holiday. I love everything about Thanksgiving. I love the family. Amen. Some of y'all better say amen. Some of them are in this room. I love the fellowship. I love the food. And I even used to love the football, although I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it this week. Amen. And this is a week we, uh, I thought about this when, when Jim was saying we're doing something a little different with our services, moving it to Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, you might say, well, preacher, why do we do that? And the main reason is because we want, uh, particularly the cooks to be able to have plenty of time to work on their dishes and things like that. And I began to think about all the preparation that goes into Thanksgiving. Uh, some of you, you're going to break out the big roasting pans this week. You've already got the turkey in the fridge. Uh, you've already got certain things laid out and planned out. Long about Wednesday morning, you're going to go into action mode. Uh, you're going to be boiling eggs and making uh, deviled eggs. And by the way, go ahead and make another dozen. Amen. Let me just say on behalf of everybody, go ahead and make another dozen. Say, preacher, I'm already ma- it don't matter how many you are making. Go ahead and make another dozen. Amen. And you're going to be preparing your pies and uh, you're going to be uh, peeling your potatoes for the mashed potatoes because that's the only way that you ought to eat potatoes. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be going about many preparations this week. But I find it interesting when you compare it with Christmas. And I don't begrudge this, but there's this sort of all-hands-on-deck experience, it seems, in trying to get ourselves in the spirit of Christmas, in the mind frame of Christmas. And I hope this is true for you, that spiritually you try to ready and prepare yourself for the Christmas season. Maybe you have the custom of reading Luke chapter number 2 with your family, with your children. Maybe you use it as an opportunity to teach them that all these gifts are blessings from God and have come from Him. Maybe you're using it as an opportunity uh, to be able to witness to family and invite them to church and encourage them uh, to be there. And I think all that is wonderful. But I wonder sometimes why we don't put the same spiritual effort into thanksgiving. See, here's the truth that Hezekiah understood. You ain't just going to walk in and be in a thankful spirit. You're going to have to get yourself in an attitude of gratitude, in a thankful disposition, and that God is not pleased with thankfulness from a dirty life. In fact, I'd say this, that thankfulness where there is filthiness of the flesh and of the life is nothing more than rank hypocrisy. Hezekiah could have just swung open the doors and said, let's go in, do the best we can. But you see, he believed God deserved better than that. So he said, you know what we're going to do instead? We're going to get this thing right before we go in and give God thanks. And I hope this week, if nothing else, we can make up our mind this morning to get this thing right before we go in, sit around a table, and list things that we're thankful for. Now, why was this necessary in the children of Israel's life. Well, the first thing I want you to notice this morning is the pollution of the house that had taken place. 
The Bible says in verse number 5, Hezekiah speaking to Levites, he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, and sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Then he said this, Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Let me make two applications here. Certainly it is true that we are the church. Amen? And inasmuch as we are the church, we are the house. But let me go even a step further and say not just us collectively in gathering to worship in this place or the house, and that certainly is biblically true, but even you as an individual believer are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of God. And the problem in their life was this. They had neglected and, and, and uh, besmirched and stained and corrupted and polluted the house of the Lord. Hezekiah said, we can't just go into God and, and offer thanks with things in the way that they are in. I began when I was studying this to think about Malachi chapter number 1, and maybe this will frame a little bit of, of what this sort of filthy gratitude looks like to the Lord. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 6, God speaking to the nation of, of Israel, He says this, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, He says, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priests, that despise my name? Now he knew that Israel would be scandalized by this charge. He said, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? God's answer is, ye have offered polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. It says, and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? He says, offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, I'm giving God my best. If you're not being your best for the Lord, you're not giving your best to the Lord. Listen, you may write a bigger check than other people write, but God's not impressed with that. Uh, You may be here on these grounds more than other people are, but if your life is in disrepair, God's not pleased by that. Uh, You remember that Paul tells us in Romans chapter number 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our life is what we're offering to God. And the question is, are we really giving Him our very best? In our text, we see the pollution of the house and it's threefold. And I think that often the pollution of our lives could follow this same track. Verse number 5, he says to the Levites, Sanctify now yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Now, have you ever wondered why he said, first off, sanctify yourselves? Well, the reason was simple. They had defiled themselves through sin and disobedience. One of the reasons, by the way, to this very day that there is not any semblance of uh, temple worship in Jerusalem. There's two reasons for it. One, because there's a big old moss sitting on the temple mount. Amen. But another reason is because the entire nation is ceremonially unclean. They have been so long from the priesthood that even were they trying, and by the way, there's no value in trying. There's no merit in trying. Hey, I, I, listen, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. We don't need that. We have Jesus Christ and we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat that serve the tabernacle. 
But even they in, in Judaistic worship and that system, they cannot because they are defiled. And you will hear a lot of talk about a red heifer, about trying to breed a red heifer. And this is rooted back in the book of Numbers because God had prescribed that when the priests were unclean, there was a certain sacrifice of a red heifer that was to be made. They were to burn all of that animal on the altar and then take the ashes of that animal and mix it with water and take that water and sprinkle it upon the priests, and thereby they would be ceremonially cleansed before God. Hezekiah looks around and he says, I'll tell you the number one problem, fellas, we can't even clean up what needs cleaned up because we've got to get cleaned up. It's amazing how many other folks' lives we want to straighten up when if we'd focus on ours, we'd have our hands full. And the very first problem was this, they had become unclean. I would say, you say, preacher, what do I need to do? We're coming into Thanksgiving. Number one, you ought to look at your own life and ask yourself, is there any uncleanness? Anything that displeases the Lord. Anything that disqualifies you from serving Him. Anything that derails you from living a life for Him. Before we can fix anything else, we have to bring the brokenness of our own life to Him and say, Lord, please forgive me and cleanse me. He said, number one, you're going to have to cleanse yourself. They had defiled themselves. Notice verse 6. The Bible says this, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken Him. Not only that, they have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord. And notice this last phrase, and turned their backs. It's very rich with imagery and meaning, and God intends for it to be so. When you think of someone turning their back on you, what do you think of them doing? Abandoning you, betraying you, defying you. I would say not only had they defiled themselves, but number two, they had defied the Lord. The Lord that loved them, the Lord that bought them, the Lord that brought them out of Egypt's darkness and in to Canaan's land, the God that had led them as a pillar of fire and as a pillar of cloud, the God that had blessed them with, their, them with His presence, the God that had nurtured them, that had taken them and made them the apple of His eye, that God they had turned their backs on. Hezekiah said, listen, not only do we need to get the filthiness out of our life, we need to get our heart turned towards Him. This has happened because we may have sinned outwardly, but we first turned away inwardly and we need to make sure that our lives are submitted unto Him, that our lives are obedient unto Him. And I'll tell you this, God don't want a rebel's gratitude. We have a funny attitude about things. We do something for somebody and, and if they're not happy with the way it's done, we won't say, well, forget about them. We do that because we're prideful. We're presumptuous, and we think we have the right to. Let me tell you something. You can't do God that way. It's not enough just to worship Him. You've got to worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped. It's funny, man. There's this philosophy in modern-day Christianity that worship is just kind of whatever we want it to be. I tell you this. If worship is whatever you want it to be, it ain't worth much. It, ain't, it just ain't worth much. It's got to be something special, something proprietary, something that pleases the Lord. And if we really love Him, and if we're really worshiping Him, we will want to worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped. And in our lives, we may look at God and say, Well, now, Lord, I, 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 gave, my, I, you know, I gave myself to I went to church. Yeah, but how'd you come to church? Well, Lord, I wrote that tithe check.
Yeah, but how'd you write it? Well, Lord, I handed out a track. I, I handed out 31 tracks. Preach God honest about handing out tracks. And I even went out and I even handed out 31 tracks. Yeah, how'd you do it? See, here's the problem. A bitter spirit cannot produce magnifying, glorifying praise to God. God, here's what God says in Malachi. He says, offer it to your governor. He said, I don't want it. He said, you bring polluted bread, I don't need it. You bring the lame and the sick and the blind, I don't want it, God says. Somebody will say, well, preacher, if it's the best I got, well, if it's the best you got, God will take it and make it into that which is fit for Him. But let's not lie to ourselves and pretend like we're giving our best when we're really not. They had defied the Lord. And let me just, I got a little off track there, amen. Y'all preached me a little bit and I got, I got, I lost my track in a little bit. But let me just say this, that if our heart's not, if our heart's not submitted, it's not grateful. We can thank Him for, you know, the shoes on our feet and the food on our table. We can thank Him for the roof over our head and our good health. We can thank Him that we got family. We can thank Him we got a church family. Listen, that's all stuff we ought to be thankful for. But if we're living in rebellion, in defiance, if there's some matter that is unsubmitted to God in our life, then God's not interested in any of the rest of it. If we're really grateful, we'll show it through submission. I see they had defied the Lord. But then, mm, verse 7 says this, also, also, that's terrifying. That's how it'd be if God's tearing into me. Also, Toby, you did this too. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch. By the way, God believes in porches. They didn't shut up the doors of the stoop. Right? Shut up the doors of the porch. Temple's got a front porch. Amen. A heaven's got a front porch. Amen. The throne room's got a front porch. And every one of them's got rocking chairs on it, amen? Because God ain't rushing you out of His presence. He wants you to visit with Him in His presence. They shut up the doors of the porch. What does that mean? Well, can't get to the door if the porch is closed. They put out the lamps. Well, can't see to minister there if the lamps are out. Have not burned incense. In other words, the labor and work was not going on. Nor offered burnt offerings. In other words, nobody was getting right. In the holy place under the God of Israel. Three things here. One, they defiled themselves. Two, they defied the Lord. But number three, they deserted the temple. They just gave up on it. This is happening all across our globe. I, there's no telling how many churches close. Just simply, do, not because there's scandal, not because there's financial turmoil, not because everybody gets old and dies out, but because people just quit going to church. Now, I think I got a little bit of liberty to preach on this this morning because some of y'all didn't get the memo from the the week one people, didn't get the memo from the week two people that it was their week off, and somehow we got a crowd here today, amen? <laughs> y'all going to have to get your emails worked out or else y'all fool around and show up to church on the same day. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know they went to church here. Yeah, for about five years they have. Y'all just ain't been here on the same day, Amen. <laughs> So I think, I think I got a little bit of liberty. I ain't mad. I'm proud. What God, hey, I'm blessed. I, I, I got no chips on my shoulder. Let me just tell you something. If we're not faithful to the house of God, we can gather around a Thanksgiving table and we can sing all the praises of God over those high volume rolls we want to. And it ain't going to mean anything. Uh, by the way, the house being deserted, it didn't just have to do with a lack of presence there. It had to do with a lack of participation there. It wasn't just that the porch was closed and the door was shut, but it was that the work, the labor wasn't going on anymore. 
They weren't serving God as they once had done as a nation. Certainly it's true that the capacity at which we can serve the Lord in a physical sense might shift and change over our lives. But there ain't no retirement from this thing of serving God. You will be expected to serve the Lord in whatever capacity God permits you for the rest of your days. You don't get to lay down your sword till you get home. And you don't get to throw away your shovel until the work is done. Hey, listen, they deserted the temple, by the way, and not fussing. As I said, I'm proud everybody that is here today and blessed by it. But isn't it interesting? Hey, this crowd... They, they, they didn't never want to be at church any other time except when it was time to give thanks. That's all right. That's all right. That's okay. No other time. But then when it came around time to give thanks, they said, well, let's go in and let's give thanks. Kind of like there's a crowd. You're not this crowd. All right. This crowd didn't show up today because they're hanging up Christmas lights. But there, there's a crowd don't want to show up except Christmas, Easter. Except just occasionally and every now and then. And then they want to show up and they want to, they want to put on that spiritual face and they want to pretend as though they're church going people. But here's the truth of the matter. Uh, if you're not living it year round, God's not interested in helping you play the hypocrite two, three Sundays out of the year. I see the pollution of the house, but then I see the purification of the house. Man, I'm glad even when things get wrong, they don't have to stay wrong. I'm glad we can get it right. And you might say, all right, preacher, you, you, you drove the nail right between my eyes. I get it. God's dealing with me. What do I do about it? Well, you do what they did about it. Verse 15 says this. They gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. There's got to be a purification take place. You've got to get your life clean. Then you can offer things to God. And notice a few things about this purification. Notice number one, it was personally purified. The Levites didn't say, well, we're not clean. We'll subcontract this out to somebody else and let them do it. They didn't sit back and say, well, because we're not clean, we're not going to get clean so we can do it. We'll just trust that somebody else that's right with God will come along and they will do it. No, they didn't do that, man. They said, all right. It's time. The king's called. He's told us we're unclean. We need to get right. And so they got right. And then they personally went in there and cleansed the house of the Lord. I don't know about you. I hate cleaning things because I'm terrible at it. Let me tell you something. I think it is physically, humanly impossible. I think it's a fallacy of culture, the notion that you can wash a mirror and not leave streaks on it. I don't think it can be done. You say, well, preacher, what about people with clean mirrors? They're buying new ones every week. They just throw the old one out and buy a new one and put it up. Arduous, miserable work to clean. But you know, funny thing about it, if you want to clean, you've got to clean. And in your life, if you want it clean, you've got to clean. There's no way around it. There's no shortcut. There's no bypass. They personally had to do the work of getting their life cleansed first and then getting the house of God cleansed second. And in your listen, nobody's going to do it for you. You're going to have to yield to the Lord, come to God, ask forgiveness, repent of that sin, ask God to cleanse you of it, ask Him to give you victory over it. You are going to have to... I can't preach you into being right with God. If I could, it would have happened at some point over the last 12 years. You're going to have to do it. 
I can't do it. Your friend can't do it. Your neighbor can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. And the reason it got cleansed is there were people that said, you know, boys, if we don't do this, it isn't going to get done. And so they went, and it was personally pure. Notice, uh, not, not only was it personally purified, verse 16 says this, the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. In other words, they go in there and they didn't just move things around a little bit and dust a little bit. They walked in and went straight for the uncleanness. Can I say this? Wreck and wonder how they knew what was unclean. I'll tell you how they knew what was unclean. God's Word had told them what was unclean. It's amazing to me, and I'm preaching against me when I say this. It's amazing to me the times that we'll go to God and say, Well, Lord, I'm, you know, I'd get something right if I knew what there was to get right. Lord, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm all right. Now, here's the truth of the matter. When God deals with you about it, He puts His finger on it. And He shows us. And so here's what they did. They deliberately, distinctively purified it. Let's say it this way. They definitively purified it. They didn't go in and pretend like it really wasn't all that bad. They didn't go in and pretend like they couldn't see it, couldn't find it. I've got my boys getting ready to turn nine. Nine. I can't believe it. And he's to that precious age where they're not really cute anymore and they kind of start to smell bad. <laughs> and he, he's, he's to that age where, I, the, I mean, and here's the trade-off, right? They start talking a lot more, but then they learn how to mow the yard. And so there's a trade-off. I, I got to put up with a little more lip, but another year or two, and I won't have to climb back on a mower for like 10 years. So whatever, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And, and he, uh, but he's that age where I use him as a gopher for things because I was used that way. And I don't know if that's fair to him, but it's fair to me. I can't tell you the hundreds of thousands of cups of coffee I had to get growing up and Thank the Lord we grew up in the age of the remote control. Some of y'all grew up when there wasn't one and you were the remote control. But I'll tell him to go get things. I'll say, son, I want you to go down, look at my office, get this. Or I'll say, son, go out, go to the toolbox, get this. And I just expect that the first time, maybe the second time, he's going to come back and say, Dad, I can't find it. It ain't there. And I tell him the same thing that my daddy told me. If I go in there and I find it, you're going to be in trouble. And it's amazing the ability, the superpower that kids have to stare directly at something and not see it. And it's matched only by our ability spiritually. To stare directly at something. And I don't mean something that we're unaware of. I don't mean something that we're ignorant to. But I'm talking something that the Holy Ghost of God and the Word of God has painted in bright orange colors and said, this is a problem. And say, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. It's not what they did, man. It was definitively purified. And I love what they did, man. They went and they grabbed it and they threw it out on the front lawn. It wasn't no secret. We'll get to this in a moment. But it wasn't no secret. They took and dragged it and threw it out. Now, before you think I'm wanting you to throw all your sin out on the front yard of your life, let me just simply say this, that it ought not be something that is maybe possibly in a week half measure dealt with, 
but something that's thrown out of your life. They took it down to the brook Kidron. This is where they threw things away and got rid of it. It was definitively purified. Then notice verse 17. I like this. The Bible says, Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and in the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. Now you might say, well, preacher, I don't understand why that's significant. Remember in verse 15, uh, or in verse number 16, where they started. In verse 16, it says the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord. They had been commanded to get the filthiness out of the holy place. So in other words, they went to the very back, to the very heart of the temple. And they started there, and here's what they did. They went to the deepest place on the inside and then started working their way to the outside. And they did not stop till they got on the front porch. Let me say it this way. It was thoroughly purified. They didn't just get the worst out of there. They didn't just get the most convenient out of there. But they went to the very heart of the matter, started there. And by the way, hey, you know where that holy place was? That's where God met with the priest. That's where God met with with humanity. And so they went to the very heart of that and began to deal with what was there. And then they began to work their way outward. In this we find the inverse, the, the, the turning on its head of human religion. Human religion would say, start on the outside and work your way in. But God does things completely opposite. He starts in the heart of a man, transforms it by the new birth, and then works His way outward, transforming the life. And in your life and mine, if we're serious about it, man, we're not going to just get the low-hanging fruit, but we're going to go to the heart. Of the matter. It was thoroughly purified. Verse 18, I told you we'd mention this. The Bible says, Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. It was publicly purified. Now again, let me be cautious in what I'm saying here. I'm not suggesting that you confessing your sin to men is in any way either required or even beneficial. The Bible says we're to confess our faults one to another so that we can pray for one another, so that we can be healed. But the Bible never commands us to confess our sins to a human being. We're to confess our sins to the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I would merely say this, that in this purifying, it was not simply a a secretive solitude matter of the heart that they kept quiet, but rather in matters that were to be publicly declared. You say, preacher, why would they go to the king? Because it was the king's business. He had commissioned them. He had told them. And so they came to him because it was his business. And I would say in our life that when we have sinned against those that We've done wrong if it's their business, if it's our business. Uh, and, and we've repented and we've asked God's forgiveness and we've sought to get that matter right between us and the Lord. We ought to go ask their forgiveness. I think in our life that we ought to seek to be so thoroughly right with God that it makes an evident transformative change in our public testimony. And when they did this, it was not merely to secret it away and, 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 and to, in the silence of their heart, pretend as though there was never anything wrong. But they came to Hezekiah and said, there's been a problem, but we've dealt with the problem and now things have been set right. 
it was publicly purified. And then verse 19, I like this. It says, Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz, that's Hezekiah's daddy, which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, have we prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Now, it appears that King Ahaz, when he instituted this idolatrous worship, those things that he could repurpose into his form of of, of pagan worship, he did so. So there were certain things, the altar, the table of showbread, that had to be cleansed. But then there were other things that, if you weren't worshiping God, were not necessary. I'm going to say this very deliberately. There were certain things that, if you weren't serving and worshiping God, they weren't necessary. And somebody that has no desire to worship or serve God has no regard or or sees no value in those things. So those things Hezekiah took and just threw over in the corner because it didn't matter. But now the priesthood's getting right with God. So here's what they do. They realize some of these things we can't function without. We've got to go find these things that are missing, that are necessary for the labor and work uh, 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 and the service to the Lord. And, and we've got to get those things and we've got to cleanse them and we've got to put them in the right place so that we can effectively serve the Lord. Let me say it this way. It was functionally purified. They looked at it and said, we don't have what we need. What are we going to do? Well, sit around and whine about it. No, we're going to go find what we need. They said this, God has already provided what we needed, but it's been cast aside. So we're going to go get that which is provided by the Lord and is necessary for the work and labor of the Lord. And we're going to get that and restore it and cleanse it and put it in its proper place so that we can once again serve the Lord the way that He deserves to be served. Preacher, what are those things in your life? Well, it could be your prayer life. You can't serve God without prayer. You can't serve God without prayer. My flesh don't like to hear that any more than your flesh likes to hear that. But it's true, and so I'll say it both for me and for you. You can't serve God without prayer. Could be your public testimony. Could be your relationship with the Word of God. Could be your faithfulness to the house of God. Things that if you don't plan on serving the Lord, you have no use for. And let's just be 100% honest. Most people don't care what the Bible says or whether we even have a Bible because they don't really intend on doing anything with the Bible. But if you're going to live a life that is centered on the Word of God, you're going to want to know if we've got a Bible and which one it is. Prayer is not something that's really all that important when you ain't going to serve God. I listen, the world does all kinds of things without prayer. Most Christians do all kinds of things without prayer. And if you want your will to be done, you don't need to pray about that. You know what your will is. But if you want the will of God done in your life, you're going to have to pray about it. I'll tell you, there's, it's no wonder in the shape that the world's in that the house of God has spiritually fallen into such disrepair. Because here's the truth of the matter. Part of the reason, a large part of the reason that the people of God come and do this week after week, part of it's under the commandment of the Lord, part of it is to gain strength and encouragement in our own Christian life, but a great part of it is to be spiritually equipped to go out and serve the Lord. And if you're not going to serve God, you probably won't think you need church very much. You'll have the same attitude towards it that a consumer does towards any place of business. Well, what can I get out of it that I appreciate and enjoy? And if I'm no longer getting that out of it, it serves no function. It serves no purpose. At the end of the day, hey, listen, I don't go to the tire and lube place because I just love to get my oil changed. 
I want to keep the car running. And I know that if I ignore it long enough, which, by the way, is much longer than the manufacturer's recommended mileage. We won't get into that right now, but you'd be amazed. I I don't understand. The purpose of it is to lubricate viscosity, right? So it seems to me the thicker the oil gets, the better it works. I like my motor oil like some of y'all like your coffee, amen? Just cut me off a slice of it, serve it to me. But, I, you know, I don't go there because I enjoy it. I go there because I want to keep the car running. You say, preacher, shouldn't we enjoy church? If you shouldn't, don't tell me. Because I have way too much fun at the house of God. But that's not why I come. I don't come because I enjoy it. I come because I need it. But if you ain't doing nothing for the Lord, you're probably not going to think you need it for very long. You know, and on and on we could go. But it was functionally purified. Purified in such a way that it could be used of God. And that's what brings us down to verse 31. It's in light of that that Hezekiah says this. Then Hezekiah, then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thanksgiving, or thanks offerings into the house of the Lord. The congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. I see not only the pollution of the house and the purification of it, but I see the praise of the house. Because this is how God wants His people. Notice three things here. Number one, there's a consecration. What does God want for me this? What's Thanksgiving about, preacher? It's about consecration. It's about consecration. It's about setting aside a a, a moment in time to consecrate ourselves in gratitude and in praise to the Lord. But we will not do that or we will not do it in a way that God's pleased with if we are not personally consecrated in our life. What did they do? Well, he said, "You've, you've consecrated yourself. You've done what God has asked I see there's a consecration, and then it's followed by this. There's an invitation. He says this, come near. Come near. Bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. What's Thanksgiving about, preacher? Well, it's about getting close to family. Nope. You've probably never been to a Thanksgiving dinner if that's what you think it's about. Most time, everybody's done with each other by the end of it. Amen. It ain't about drawing near to family, it's about drawing near to our Father. Because that's what gratitude's about, right? Gratitude's about giving us a greater heart for the Lord. Seeing His goodness in our life. And it leading us to repentance and leading us to devotion. There's an invitation that takes place. And then there's a declaration. I like this. The congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. Preacher, what do you want this year? I want to thank Him with a free heart. With a free heart. What it means when it says a free heart is is that they, having no sin in their life, did not need to offer a sin offering or a trespass offering, but rather they could come in and worship Him in offering a burnt offering. And Hezekiah says, man, it was wonderful. People that's right with God, people that's clean and people that's close, praising Him for what He's done in their life. Preacher, what do you want out of Thanksgiving? I don't just want to sit around at a table and and vomit out praise and thanksgiving to God that happened to occur to me in the 15 seconds while the person next to me was offering theirs. 
That's not what I want out of it. What do you want, preacher? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to go in and play the hypocrite and, and thank God for a whole bunch of things while there is a milestone of, of problems between us. I don't want that. I'll tell you what I want to be able to do. God help me to do it. I want to be able to go in and with a free heart give Him praise. Free heart give Him praise. But that's only going to happen if I purify that which has been polluted, if I consecrated that which has been corrupted. And in your life, please, if there's some matter between you and the Lord, don't leave this place today before you've brought it to Him and gotten it settled. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. Preacher, what will people think if I go down there? Well, they'll think that you love the Lord and you want to please Him. That's what they'll think. But preacher, won't they assume? If they're carnal, they might, but who cares what carnal people think? You say, preacher, where should, where should my focus be? It should be on the Lord. On the Lord. If God's dealt with you about some matter in your life, won't you meet Him down in this altar? Or maybe you already came with a free heart today. You say, what can I do, preacher? You can come praise Him for His goodness, for His grace, for His salvation, for His protection, for His provision, for His providence, for all that He's done. We ain't got to wait till Thursday to praise Him. Let's start now praising Him. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.